just as, as a sort of preparatory comment, since it's wet outside, the kids are going to be upstairs. There's a lot of them today. So, you know. When it sounds like they're like herding cattle or something like that, we know what that is. We're, we're going to be ready for it this time. All right, if you've got your Bible, turn to First um, Timothy chapter 2. And we are going to kind of be there for the next couple of weeks. Um, we're going to zoom in on one verse um, this evening, but I'm going to kind of read the whole section to get a running start at it. We're going to be looking at verse uh, chapter 2, verse 8, through chapter 3, verse 7. So starting in chapter 2, verse 8, it says, Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. But women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer, then, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the temptation of the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, again, we thank you for this day. We thank you for a time to join together and worship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, as we come to your word and as we continue our discussion about leadership in the church, about servanthood in the church, about um, what those roles and, and what those things that um, you have ordained and called us to look like, um, God, we pray that you would open your word to us, um, that as we come to these passages, um, that, that you would allow us to see uh, your word through your eyes, um, that you, we would see your word um, through the light um, that the Holy Spirit shines on it. Um, God, that we would not bring to the text um, our own um, modern sensibilities, um, God, but we would see them for what they are and what you have for us in them. Um, God, as always, we need the power and the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives to conform our lives to your word. Um, without that, um, these things will fall on deaf ears. And so we pray that that would not be the case. God, help us to see and to understand and um, to form our lives around all the things that we see in your word, especially these things that we talk about in terms of leadership over the next few weeks. Um, God, we thank you. We praise you. Um, God bless us in this time. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Okay, so we're going to do, I'm not sure if what I'm about to say is going to be super weird and controversial, um, or if people are just going to kind of go, yeah, that's, I kind of get it, but um, we're talking about, we've been talking about leadership, right? Last week we talked about these different biblical roles, that there are only two biblical roles in in the scriptures. There is the, the role of the elder overseer, pastor role, right? And we, we talked about how even that word pastor is probably better understood as a, as a kind of gifting when it comes to these things, that the actual title of the role would be something like elder overseer. Um, and then also the role of deacon. And deacon we're not going to get to for a few more weeks. In fact, I think what's going to end up happening is we'll, we'll sort of talk about elders a little more extensively, and then we're going to have a gap as we head into Trinity Sunday, um, which is right after Pentecost, and we're going to do kind of some shift gears a little bit and do some different things, and then we'll come back to deacons um, later on in the summer. But we've been talking about these issues, um, and over the next couple of weeks, as we look at the issue of elder overseers, as we, as we talk about that, this week we're going to talk about calling, next week we're going to talk about qualification, and then the next week we're going to talk about job description or something, basically what an elder does, like what are the things that, that an elder does. And so today we're going to talk about calling, and honestly, I'll be... I'll, when I started this week, this was not what I was going to preach on, okay? I got to about Thursday going in a completely different direction, and all of a sudden it kind of hit me, and I was like, I need to back up and, and change, uh, talk about something before we get to this, because I think this is an issue that is that is central in understanding what an elder-led church looks like, but I also think it's not the way... Certainly Baptists typically talk. It is not the way most evangelicals typically talk about, especially this issue of calling. Okay, And so I just want to kind of flesh it out a little bit, and and I may get in some deep water, and and I may kind of, I may lose you at some point. I hope that's not the case. I hope I explain it in a way that doesn't make you think that I'm crazy, Um, but I think it is a different tack, right? It's something that is not the normal way that we talk about these things in in evangelical culture, okay? And so um, let me start with this. By defining those roles that we talked about last week, by defining roles in those two ways, saying there's only these two jobs, elder and deacon, right? Um, by defining things in those ways, maybe some questions started popping up in your mind. I don't know if you went home and you kind of thought about these things and thought about the nature of leadership and servanthood in the church, but maybe a couple of things started clicking with you and making you think. Um, what does this particular understanding of leadership actually look like practically in the church, right? What, how does it play out um, in terms of these things, okay? Well, here's a couple of things that I think we should, we should talk about and we should notice. The, the first thing is this, is that everywhere we look in the New Testament, we see a plurality of elders playing out, okay? What that means is that churches don't just typically have one elder, uh, in, in leadership at the church, right? There is typically, you, when you watch Paul talk, for example, and he'll say, I'm writing a letter to the elders at the church of whatever, or I gathered together the elders at this church when, when we had a whatever. There's a, there's a, everywhere you look, you see this thing that there's not just one elder, right? There seems to be a council of elders, right? There's a, or a cohort um, of elder, elders in, in the New Testament, right? That's the first thing that we need to understand is that eldership is not just like one dude, okay? Um, it tends to be in the New Testament. There are multiple elders um, in a church, multiple people who are sort of leading that church as a council of elders, right? 
Um, that's different than a lot of churches, right? Most churches don't, or, or at least certainly in the Baptist world, a lot of churches don't look like that. Um, the mother church has functionally one elder, one pastor, right? And then they have a council of deacons who have a different kind of role than the pastor does, okay? And so it's, it's a single pastor and then, and then multiple deacons. I think the model that we see that matches the New Testament best is that we have a plurality of elders, and we probably also have a plurality of deacons doing different kinds of work, like we talked about last week, okay? So that's the first thing. There's a plurality of elders. Two, this council of elders may have different kinds of work, okay? They may have different jobs that they do in the church, but it will be the same role, all right. So, again, we'll deal with this a little more in a couple of weeks when we start talking about the different things that elders do, right, their job description. Um, but, for example, you might have in any given church, you might have a, a pre- preacher or an or a elder who excels at preaching, right, and, and tends to be the, the primary preacher, the one who is in the pulpit on a Sunday uh, most often, okay? But then you might have another elder who um, ex- excels at evangelism, right, and is known for his personal evangelism and street evangelism or something like that, going out and and sort of um, putting the gospel out there in in a in a cold kind of situation. That sounds weird to say it that way, but right, like going out there and just preaching the gospel to people who maybe aren't looking for it or something like that. Right? You might have somebody else who excels at personal discipleship or teaching um, or small group discipleship or something like that. You might have somebody who excels at pastoral care and sort of nurturing and, and sort of almost a chaplain function that that takes place in a lot of life and ministry. Right? When people are sick or or hurt or dying or or things like that, right? All of these men would be elders in the church, but they all would have maybe sort of different focuses, right? They might have different ways that they um, uh, acted out that, that role of elder, but it would all be tied to their giftings, right? Some people are just gifted in certain ways. God, through the Holy Spirit, gifts us with certain things, and some people are more gifted at other things than, there are, uh, than other people are, right? Um, this might even include a distinction here. It might include a distinction between paid and lay elders, right? So you would have maybe some members of, of that elder, elder cohort that were paid staff members, right? Because maybe the, the kind of work and the amount of work they were doing necessitated them that being their full-time vocation or whatever. You might have other ones that were a part-time position. You might have other persons that are just, um, uh, they're lay elders, right? They are doing everything in terms of their volunteer service um, as elders, Okay. And so you see even these things in the scriptures. In 1 Timothy 5, which we won't get to in this, but he says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scriptures say, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Right? So what you notice, if you, if you, if you look at that passage, he's saying um, some Elders will be worthy of their wages, especially those who are preaching and teaching, right? And I think the reason for that is is because preaching and teaching is a function that often takes a full-time vocation, right? Like it's hard to be a good preacher um, and do it on a voluntary um, basis plus your other job, right? To put the kind of time and research and energy and study and prayer into preaching and teaching, um, it has to be kind of your full-time job, or, or it's easier for that. You are it, the, the, the task is hurt when you're bivocational in a lot of ways. That's not to say that lots of guys don't do that, right? There are tons of, of men who should be commended for the fact that they are bivocational p- 
past pastors and preachers and that they ha- are in that situation. They have to take another full-time job, and yet they still um, are about the task of teaching and preaching, okay? But th- the point is, is this, that plurality of elders is going to have different jobs, okay? Um, it'll look differently. And then thirdly, the third thing that I want us to notice is this. Even though each elder has maybe a different job, they do different things in the church, uh, in terms of their servant leadership, each one is still equal in their leadership as an elder. Okay, right? So you don't have like real elders and like fake elders, right? You don't have, you don't make a distinction to say, well, the staff elders, they're the real elders, and then the lay elders are just like these volunteer guys. No, that's not the picture that we see in the Bible, right? An elder is an elder, right? All the elders are elders, okay? They are of equal Rank, and it's almost weird to talk about it in those terms, right? But they're of equal status with each other, okay? Now, again, that's not to say that maybe through age or experience or tenure or something like that, you wouldn't have someone who became a first among equals, um, or a chairman almost of, of the elders, right? Like there might be somebody that all the other elders are kind of looking to as you know, the guy who sets the pace for things or whatever. But at the end of the day, there's no distinction in their roles, right? They are all elders, okay? They have an equal position in terms of the life of the church, okay? Now, here's the deal. You take those three things together, and again, depending on what background you're from, depending on what denomination you're from, um, there is a major shift in understanding, I think, that happens at this point, And maybe um, you saw it coming if you've been thinking about it over the course of the week. Because here's the deal. That means that if the church ordains a number of men to the role of elder, then all those men are equally elders. And so then maybe a way to personalize it is, let's say, if we elected some men in this church to be elders, they would all be pastor elder overseers just like me. Okay? They would still be, they would be equal in terms of role with me. Alright? And again, I think that pushes back against a lot of what our world oftentimes thinks in terms of church leadership, right? Because we, we have this distinction. We say, no, 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 there's these guys who are like, I mean, they're the pastors, right? They are called into ministry somehow. And then there are these other men who have stepped up and are leading in certain ways, but they're sort of a different category from, from the, 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 the pastors over here, all right? What I'm trying to tell you is I don't think that's what the Bible gives us a picture of, okay? That an elder is an elder is an elder, all right? Well, if that's the case, then immediately we start getting into this issue of this thing that we talk about, this word that we throw around called calling. Okay? And we hear that word, we, we talk about it in, in church circles, right? Um, how God has called somebody into the ministry, right? You know, we, we talk about that. This pastor over here was called into the ministry um, at, at a certain age, right? And then we, as we talk about these things, pastors have calling stories, Right. So uh, I have been in interviews before where somebody said, hey, man, so tell me about your calling in the ministry. OK. And so we have these um, we, we sort of learned these stories and you hear hear language like this. They'll say, well, I, I felt 
like God was leading me in this direction. Um, and he gave me a sense of these things in my life or something like that. He, he was speaking to me in my heart and, and this, this kind of language, right? Um, God led them to understand that they should pursue a vocational ministry or something. And so the idea in every story is typically the same that God singled that person out for pastoral ministry, okay? And I don't mean that in, in an arrogant kind of way either. Like, I don't, I, mean, I don't mean that pastors are sort of like pridefully saying, well, God singled me out, you know, differently than everybody else. I don't mean it like that. I mean, it, I, I say it to mean God specifically said, hey, I have a specific job for you to be a pastor, and I'm calling you to, to do that job, okay? He spoke to me specifically or individually. He called me into his service, Okay, And so, again, we talk about God calling somebody into ministry because that's um, the way we talk about these things, right? It's the language that we use. But here's the thing. I don't think it's the best way to talk about them. In fact, I don't think it's what you see in the New Testament, especially when you start understanding the way elder leadership works in a church, Usually when we tell those stories about our calling, we are thinking through a template of basically Old Testament characters, right? And so we can all think of stories that we read in the Old Testament of the calling of certain people in the Old Testament, like Abraham or Moses or Samuel or David or Isaiah, right? And there are these big kind of stories um, that come out. We talk of those stories uh, and we tell our own stories almost in light of the template of those other stories, even though our stories aren't really very similar to those people's stories at all, if you think about it, right? Um, I didn't see a burning bush uh, when God called me into ministry. Like, I was not praying in my bed one night, and then all of a sudden, like, an angel descended and lit up my bed, and it was burning but not consumed or anything like that. Like, that didn't happen, okay? I didn't hear the audible voice of God when I was called into to ministry. Um, he didn't take me up into the third heaven in a vision and reveal to me what he wanted for my life. Um, a recognized prophet of God didn't show up at my dad's barbecue and say, not that son, but this one. He's the one who's going to be a pastor one day, right? None of that stuff happened. And yet, the stories that pastors usually tell about their calling are lesser versions of those things, right? Um, we tell all these stories where it's like, well, I, I, th- this thing happened and I felt like God, I felt like God, I felt like God was calling me to be a pastor, okay? And that word felt is really key um, because I don't think it's the way the Bible actually talks about these things. God didn't show me any burning bushes. He just grew me, Okay. Um, he's still growing me, right? Taking this position of leadership in terms of the church plant was a way that he is growing me and building me up in terms of his word and his work. And I finally made a decision and stepped into that role. Okay. And so what I'm, what I'm trying to get at is this, the role of elder, if, if all the elders are equal and we are all pastors, right? 
then what that is is I think a lot of times people are waiting for something, right? They're sitting there going, well, man, I'm not a pastor like that guy is because God specially called him and something happened. That's, I don't have that, so I shouldn't be an elder. I shouldn't step into pastoral kind of ministry in some way and oversee your kind of ministry because God doesn't have that. He hasn't called me in that way. What I'm trying to say to you is this. You don't see that being normative in the life of believers in terms of leadership in the New Testament. Okay? What, so, so are you going, you might say, Ash, are you saying that God never supernaturally, specifically calls someone into his service? No, that is not what I'm saying, okay? You see that all the time in the Bible, okay? Even in the New Testament, you see it some. Right. Paul would be a perfect example. Right. He's just riding his horse one day and all of a sudden heavens crack open and Jesus speaks to him personally. and He's blinded and he falls off his horse and the whole deal. Right. That was a specific kind of calling. But what I'm saying is that's not normative. That's not normally how people are called into leadership in the church. Um, what I'm saying is that there um, is another process by which people become Elder, overseer, pastors in the church. And it doesn't have to look like um, a special, specific, individual calling on your life outside of the normal working of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So let me, let me give you a few things to kind of like chew on first off. Okay? So one, when you read the New Testament, first off, when you read about qualifications for elders, okay? Just sort of, and, and this seems like almost the kind of thing that is obvious, but it's also the kind of thing that I don't think anybody ever really notices. Like, we don't say this. Never does it talk about a subjective internal call to ministry. So you read these qualifications for, for elders in the Bible, and it doesn't say, well, he has to be this, 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 and this. Oh, and by the way, he has to have this special, unique call upon his life that was subjective and only he has and that God singled him out among other people. It doesn't say that. All right? That is not a qualification for ministry. It's not a qualification for eldership. Um, it never says wait for this ethereal, internal, subjective feeling before you do these things. Um, that's not the description we see. Instead, um, what we tend to see is that, you know what, he's a faithful servant of God. Um, he has a heart for God. He has a heart for God's people. He's gifted in teaching. Um, and, and therefore, we're going to start seeing if this guy is, is willing to step up into elder, overseer, pastoral kind of leadership. All right? You don't sit there and go, man, he's all these things, uh, but he doesn't have this unique calling of God on his life. Like, that's not what you see. Okay? Now, again, I think that's what we do. Like, you might look at anybody in the church and go, man, that guy's really sharp, and he loves the Lord, and he loves people. But he just doesn't, he doesn't have the calling of God on him or something like that. I, I think we're missing something. We're, and again, I, I'm not trying to offend anybody or any kind of background you're from. I think we've gotten too Pentecostal in our understanding of calling, right? We have turned our, our understanding of calling into something that is sort of nebulous and ethereal, right? That is this subjective work of the Holy Spirit. Instead of taking the objective word of God and saying, this is what it looks like to be called into leadership in God's church. So first thing, that subjective inner call. Second thing, okay, here's a cool thing. And again, it's something that maybe you've never noticed. The Bible, especially the New Testament, never even talks about calling that word in those terms. 
You don't read the Bible and it talks about God calling people into ministry in those terms. When you see the word calling in the New Testament, almost always it's in one of two contexts. God calling people to salvation. Okay? So when we talk about calling, it's, it's connected to this idea of... Um, man, election and providence and the gospel call going out and conversion and regeneration, all these things. That's calling. God is calling us into his kingdom that way. So that's one way we see the word calling used. And then we see the other way the word calling used is for sanctification. All right? You know what God is calling you to do? The calling he has on your life? It's to be sanctified, to grow in Christ's likeness, to do the things that we've been talking about for weeks and weeks and weeks, right? Faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. That's what God is calling us to. All right? That's the way the word is used. In a very few places, Paul will talk about his apostleship as a calling. But then again, that makes perfect sense with what we've talked about over the last few weeks. Because apostleship isn't really a role in the church. It is a job in the church. It's a specific thing, and one of the characteristics of it is that Jesus himself has to tag you. Okay, So nobody else got to be an apostle except for people who Jesus personally said, you're it. Okay, And that included the twelve, and then it included, as Paul says, an apostle who was abnormally born, which was him, because Jesus tagged him after Jesus was resurrected. Okay, Nobody else got to be apostles. When one apostle died, they didn't replace that apostle right, with a new apostle to fill the twelve or something like that. There was thirteen of them. Judas hung himself. Paul got added in also. And then as those apostles died... They were not replaced. So then you go, yeah, it makes sense that Paul would talk about his apostleship as a calling because it was a unique, special kind of role that he had that required God um, giving a special subjective call in his life. But other than that, we don't see the word calling talked about in terms of saying, hey, you are called into pastoral ministry. Instead, what you see is that it's almost a function of our normal sanctification in the Lord, right? As men mature in the faith and as they seek after God and as they get stronger in the faith and, uh, and, and grow, it would be likely that those men would start moving towards the point where they said, you know what, I want to serve God and I want to serve my church by being an elder. Okay? Um, Again, am I saying that the Holy Spirit's not involved in this whole process? No, that is not what I'm saying. I'm saying the Holy Spirit is 100% involved in this process. He's involved in the process at every single point. But what I'm saying is his involvement is normative. Okay? It's not specific or special. Okay? He is working in us. The Holy Spirit is working in us the same way he's sanctifying us. Okay? And he's sanctifying us towards greater and greater levels of servanthood and leadership and sacrifice. It's a function of us growing up and maturing in the faith. Okay? And so it's kind of like, again, what we talked about for weeks. It is that idea of that grace-fueled, gospel-grounded, spirit-filled work of the spirit that is also something that we participate in. And so I think the case is, is that this, these pastor elder overseers, the way that process gets started is exactly what we see in first Timothy chapter three, verse one. So look there real quick. We're going to zoom in on this and we're going to be done. First Timothy three, one, 
This saying is trustworthy. That's a cool thing when, when Paul writes that. It's only a few places in the New Testament um, where he kind of singles it out and says, hey, what I'm about to say is important, right? It's trustworthy. You can bank on it, okay? Obviously, all of the word is that way, but he sort of singles it out some way. And then what does he say? He says, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task, Okay, so where does this process of finding elders in our church, finding leaders to step up and be um, leaders in our church? Well, it begins with men in our church aspiring to that position. All right, it begins, and, and, and the word aspire, if it's not something that, that you say on a daily basis, it means to direct your hopes and your ambitions to achieving, achieving something. Okay, we aspire to the role of elder. We look at this and we say, man, this is a good thing. This is a noble thing. It's an important thing. This is something that the church needs and God has called us to. You know what? And I want to aim my life towards that. Right. It's something that I want to seek after and pursue. All right. I'm not going to stand back and sit here and say, oh, you know what? Maybe one day God will like uh, hit me with lightning or the clouds will open up and then I'll know. Right. Then I'll know that I should seek after these things. OK. No. What should be the case is that we should be our our life should be aimed in these directions. OK. We should be heading towards these things with all of our lives and all of our being every single day is a natural process of loving God, loving others and being sanctified through the word. OK. And so. Um, that aspiration Right. That aspiring to this role, you know, it, it, it worries people because obviously it could get goofy. You could say, man, people can aspire to that role, Ash, for all the wrong kind of reasons. And you're exactly right. People can aspire to the role for the wrong reasons. We see people in the New Testament aspiring to the role of elder and getting the role of elder and doing it for the wrong reasons. Okay, And so certainly we're working against that. Right. We don't want people to go into it with the wrong motives. There are some people who seek leadership in the church because they want to run the show. They want to be bosses. They want to push people around and be looked up to. Um, but that's because they've forgotten what Christian leadership is, right? Christian leadership is always servanthood, right? So it's not about you being elevated. It's actually about you being cast down in a lot of ways to be a leader in the church. And so some people misunderstand that part of it. But guess what? There's another side that they misunderstand, too. Some people want to be ministers. They want to be... Um, uh, leaders in the church because they love the warm fuzzies of helping people, man. And just like helping people and getting people through their problems and serving people and just doing all this fun stuff, right? Just it's encouraging. I mean, it feels good to help people. And they forget that leadership is difficult. Like leadership sometimes means hurting people, right? Sometimes you have to say things and do things that are very painful to do, right? It's not all warm fuzzies. It's a difficult job. And that's because they've seen the servanthood side of it, but they've forgotten the leadership side of it, right? We don't want people entering into this, this, this aspiration for wrong motives, um, but that can happen. Okay, and again, we you could be worried. You could go, Ash, if we're not waiting for some kind of subjective call in people's hearts, doesn't that probably mean that we're just going to get a bunch of yahoos like coming in here and going, I want to be an elder of the church, right? Like everybody's just going to step up and say, well, I want to do this thing. And here's the key. The process begins with our aspirations, but it doesn't end with our aspirations, right? That's not the only 
thing that we look to when we're talking about um, this process, okay? The individual has to aspire to these things, to see it as good and noble and work towards it. But then guess what happens? Then God in his word says, great attitude, buddy, but I've got some qualifications. And you have to live up to and you have to meet those qualifications before we can continue on this process of you being an elder. Most of them are character qualifications. One of them is a skill qualification. We're actually going to talk about those next week, right? But the deal is, is this. The desire in the individual is not the only piece. God has a voice in, in, in the role of elder, right? He says, I've already given you some categories that this person has to fall into. And if they don't, then they can't be an elder. They are disqualified from eldership. And it could be something that they grow past. Maybe at this time in their life they say, I'd like to be an elder, but, an elder, but man, you know, I've got a problem with um, greed, right? I'm still just very um, graspy in terms of my finances, my money, and I'm just greedy. And, and maybe the church looks at that person and says, you know what, that's a problem, and right now we don't think it's wise for you to be an elder. But you know what? As God works in you and as God grows you and as God matures you past that, maybe, maybe something changes down the road and we revisit this again. Your aspirations are good. They're noble. Um, we're glad that you care about this and think it's important, but it's not the time right now because you don't meet the qualifications yet. But guess what? Even then, the qualifications aren't the end of the process because not only does the individual have to aspire, not only does God give his qualifications, but then the church has to confirm. And the church has to say, yeah, we think this person is right for leadership, right? We think that we trust this person. We have seen this person in action. They have been tested in our midst in terms of all kinds of different things. And we trust this person and we agree to give this person leadership over us. All right. And so we see this kind of multi-step kind of process, personal aspirations, biblical qualifications, and then community recognition and testing. Or you could say testing and recognition probably is the better way to do it. All right? Again, I'm not sure that everybody thinks about these issues in this way, but I think it's what the Bible points us towards in terms of these issues. And just think of all the things that it would help with and to kind of fix in the goofiness of the way church works sometimes. In, in the Baptist church, we had this goofy free agency World. It's like the NFL, you know, after the draft or whatever, right? We got all these guys who were like, I feel like I'm called into ministry, and I'm just out there, like, sending applications out, trying to find a church who, who's looking for a guy, and I can get it. They don't know me from Adam, right? They don't know me from nothing, but I'm going to just get in there. That's a, that's a weird process. I've been in that process before. It's a, it's a weird place to be. Okay, but what if it was the normal function of the church to, as people were part of a community, to, for them to um, mature and grow, start taking on little positions of service and leadership for other people in the church to say, hey, look at that guy. He's doing it right. There's, God's obviously working in that guy's life. He's growing up. He's maturing. Okay, And as that process happens, then begin to see people who rise to the surface in terms of leadership. Okay, What if that was the way church leadership looked? I think it's actually the way it's supposed to work. What about this? What about, and you've all heard of stories like this, some pastor falls into a scandal, right? Uh, adultery, embezzlement, whatever, okay? And they are removed from their position in a church, they disappear for six months, and then all of a sudden you're watching TV one day, and that, church, that pastor is back on the scene, and he's got a new job at a new church somewhere, right? And what does he say? He says... I'm going to be an elder in this church. And somebody says, wait a minute, I, I didn't think that you 
didn't you just cheat on your wife like six months ago? Like, that's, that's not something that's okay. What's going on here? And then they say something like this typically. God's called me into the ministry. That's an irrevocable call on my life. Who are you to say that God hasn't called me, right? If God's called me, then none of this stuff, other, other stuff matters because his, his word and his authority is paramount, okay? Well, I'll tell you why you can say it to him. It's because that calling on his life was probably subjective, A, okay? It was, it was maybe part of the, the natural maturation process of him in, in ministry, but now something has happened that has disqualified him from the ministry, right? Because the Bible says you've got to be the husband of one wife if you want to be um, an elder. He has done something that has disqualified him now. So it doesn't matter, even if he was called, even if he had had a burning bush moment, right? It doesn't matter now because God's word in the New Testament tells us you can't be that guy. Now you might say, well, cool, is that the final word on it? The answer is no, it's not the final word on it. Five years down the road, ten years down the road, after he has begun a life of, of repentance and sanctification and grown and there's been change and, and people see he's got a different heart now and things like that, maybe ten years down the road you look and you say, I think that he's past that. And I think he has matured to a point now in his faith that, that, that he can be considered for elder leadership. But guess what? That's not what you see normally. You see a guy who claims that his calling is what justifies his faith. I mean, it justifies his ministry, and he steps back into a role that he has disqualified himself from. Okay? And so you see all these goofy things that happen. Instead of thinking about leadership as just a normal part of our growth and life in the church, we see it as this weird thing that sits out here that the Bible doesn't really specifically tell us how it works. Okay? I don't think that's the way it's supposed to go. Um, I would like to see, like, I would love it. I would love it if, as this church grew, um, if if every single elder, pastor, overseer that we ever had came from right here, right? I would love it if every single person we ever uh, elected to the, to the position of elder overseer was somebody from our church. That we didn't go out and we didn't find somebody out in the world, right? And again, I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm not saying you can't do that or it's sinful or anything like that. I'm just saying... Wouldn't it be awesome if God just grew us up and men just started going, man, I love God and I love his church and I love his people and I love his word and I want to tell people about it and I want to serve. And so, yeah, I'll step up. I'll step up into this position. I'll put myself forward for it and see if, my, if, if I line up with the qualifications and see if the church looks to me and says, yeah, I think that's, he's, he's the guy, right? And then, and then brings me into that position. That's what I would love to see. Um, but we can only do that if we understand these roles properly. Does that make sense? Oh, this is getting, I'm, I'm going to shut it down because we're getting kind of, we're, we're meandering now, okay? Um, would you pray about these things, okay? Uh, would you in your prayer say, God, will you make, will you grow elders out of us, okay? Um, not, not assistance, right? I'm not looking for assistance to my pastoral authority, right? I don't need just some guys who are kind of standing in the wings, okay, who I can sometimes go to and say, you think it's a good idea? You think it's a good idea? Okay, yeah, it's a good idea. That's not what I'm looking for. That's not what eldership is. Eldership is men who are coming along and saying, I'm ready to share this process. I'm, being, I'm willing to be a pastor, 
Okay, whether I'm paid or unpaid or part paid or whatever, I'm willing to step into this role and be a shoulder-to-shoulder leader with you in terms of this church and life. Make sense? Uh, I know there's a lot to that. Like some of y'all are probably going, I think you're crazy, Edge. Um, it's something to talk about more. Hopefully, you'll talk about it in your small groups this week, right? That's why they're there. Um, pray for this, will you? Um, pray that God will continue to work in our in the life of our church in these ways as we are growing in sanctification and become more and more like Jesus Christ. That He would that He would make us aware of those who are interested, qualified, and trusted to be leaders in our church. Let's go to the Lord and pray. Father God, it is a it is. Um, Leadership is a is so central, and yet it's so difficult for us to navigate it. God, we, we know that you are at work in all of these things, and yet when we read your word, it, it doesn't look the same um, as, as Moses. Um, it doesn't look the same as Abraham or Samuel, God. It doesn't, it doesn't look the same in the New Testament. There is... Um, God, there's this organic process that we see in your word, and we want to be a part of that. We want you to work in us and to grow us naturally, normatively, um, so that the leadership of the church is a function of its maturity, Um, not some sort of uh, ethereal calling out. Um, that happens, God. If you if you if you place your finger on people's life and call them specially, and 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 we see the evidence of those things, God, we're that's awesome. Okay, um, we are we are not trying to be um, rebellious to that in any way. Um, but God, we want you to work in us the way your word says um, that you would grow us and make us more like Jesus and make us love each other more and make us love you more and recognize that that. The ministry of the church and and the, the the gospel proclamation of the church of the church is worthy of our lives. It is worthy of us laying down other ambitions. It is worthy of us aspiring to this thing so that we can push other things um, to the side in our lives. That it is worthy and noble of those things. God help us to have those kind of hearts um, to be those kind of people who want those kind of things in our lives. Um, God, we trust you. We know that you are working in this congregation and among these people. We ask that you would continue to do it um, more and more in the coming weeks, months, years, decades, and however long you have us here, Lord. We thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.